Switching to Geico is a good idea, especially when you consider everything. First off, Geico makes it easy to switch. They have licensed agents available 24-7 online or over the phone. But if it's so easy, you might start thinking everything is easy, even big wave surfing. And it's not. It's actually quite difficult. Well, if you switch to Geico, you could save hundreds on car insurance. And you could keep saving by bundling your motorcycle, boat, and RV, plus your home or renter's insurance. But saving money might lead you to make some questionable purchases, like a 20-foot feather boa. And do you know how hard it is to clean a 20-foot feather boa? Well, they do have an industry-leading mobile app you can use to pay your bill, file and manage a claim, or add a new driver. But when life gets a little easier, it makes you too confident. And you start calling everyone ace. And you're better than that. Well, Geico has a 97% customer satisfaction rating and has been saving people money for 85 years. It's hard to beat that. But you're right. Switch to Geico. It's obviously a good idea. When it comes to working at Geico, our best advocates are our employees, like Maxine. But since she is so focused on growing her career, we hired an actor to read her story. At Geico, I love mentoring the new associates to help them make this a career and not just a job. And with new opportunities and job stability, Geico has been helping people grow their careers for over 75 years. The only downside, she still hasn't met the gecko. Where are you, fella? Ready to start your career, Fredericksburg? We're hiring claim sales and service agents. Apply online today at geico.job slash Fredericksburg. This is Trend Chat. I'm your host, Brian Butso. And if you want to connect with us, whether on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Snapchat, it's all the same name at, at TrendChat247. So if you never heard this theme before for the podcast, this is our, I guess, our short version because that means that we have very limited time. We have a very packed show full of interviews from CPAC from last week. So first, I'm just going to mention the first three that's going to play. And after that, I'll come in for a short couple of seconds and tell the next three. So first off, we'll have Danine and Tom Borelli and then Pastor Josh Boyce and Anna Paulina is the first three. And I'll come back in the middle of that and introduce the next three. So, like I said, we're not going <laughs> to not going to waste any time. We'll go, go straight into it. So cut that music, DJ. There you go. So we can get straight into our into our interviews. And as I as I mentioned before, we're going to start off with Deneen and Tom Borelli. At CPAC, and we are very pleased to have returning guests, Deneen and Tom Borelli. How y'all two doing? Brian, how are you doing? Great to see you again, Brian. So we're here at CPAC, as I mentioned. So I guess what's the what's the feel this year as far as um, being here? Well, I'm checking out all the people here today, and uh, a lot of them are, are young students, which is really good to see. I've even seen people here younger, some little kids, and it's really exciting. There's a lot of energy, I think, going on, and uh, it's always good to be at CPAC, and it's also always great to see you, Brian. Yeah, definitely. It's one of the best parts about CPAC. We get to connect with people we don't get to see really throughout the world, the, the year. We get to see them maybe on social media, and there's nothing beats seeing people, you know, Live and in color, for sure. Mainly, the question I've been asking everyone is that the theme of CPAC is what makes America great. And so I want to ask both of you, in your opinion, what makes America great? Well, what makes America great is the American people. 
I mean, it, it is a land of opportunity. America is an exceptional country. If you work hard, you can persevere, you can succeed, as simple as that. The biggest threat we have is big government. And the Democrats are going way, way now far to the left, which is, you know, bigger government means less freedom. That's why we're here at CPAC to try to carry out the message that it's important to be free. It's important to make government as small as possible. What Tom said. <laughs> no, but really, uh, it, it does come down to we the people, because it's up to us to uh, keep government small and to apply pressure to our representatives when they're supposed to be representing uh, what the people want instead of what they think is best just to stay in office. And uh, to piggyback on that, thank you for all you do, Brian, to get the word out, because I know you work hard to educate people. You travel to these different events around the country, and I just want to applaud you for that. Well, thank you. I, I just do what I can. So Now, how things going? So if people don't know that Blaze TV or CRTV were merged, so how things been going since the merging everything? Yeah, it's been going well. This happened uh, in December of 2018, around that time. And, uh, you know, I have my videos that come out. Here's the deal. I hope folks will check that out. But, uh, every, you know, just rocking and rolling and just trying to get the word out. And, Tom, you with um, America's Voice as well? Yep, I'm a contributor with America's Voice News, which is a, a new conservative uh, media company, which is very exciting. I'm a contributor. I'm also a contributor with Conservative Review. I write about two columns a week. People could check it out at conservativereview.com. Well, you know, it's always great to see you, too, and I'm pretty sure we'll see each other again, if not by next CPAC, probably sometime in between. So thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. Keep safe. This is Trend Chat. Hello, this is Trent Chat at CPAC, and we are very pleased to have Pastor Josh Spice with us. He is the founder of the G3 Conference. How are you doing? Doing well. Good to be with you. So, I, well, one, I saw your session at the G3 co uh, Conference talking about intersectionality, and it's something I haven't talked about a lot on the podcast. I mean, I, I know what it is, and I'm pretty sure there's probably a number of people on the show that maybe have no clue about it, but even though they Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure they probably are, have experienced it, but they don't know exactly what it is. So kind of give us, a, I guess, a, a brief definition of that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Intersectionality as a term was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw back in 1989, and she's a leftist uh, political activist, uh, someone who was interested in trying to come to the aid of basically women who were lesbians, homosexuals who were oppressed, in American culture. And one of the ways that she would identify people would be to classify them by victim categories or victim groups. And so basically it works like this. It, according to Crenshaw, if you're a woman in America, then you're oppressed simply because of the fact that you're a woman. But if you're a black woman in America, now you're oppressed in two different victim categories. You're black and you're also a woman. But if you add another layer to that, say you're a woman who's also black, but then you're also a lesbian. According to Crenshaw, those different layers of those victim categories, where they intersect, is at the heart of the greatest opportunity for oppression and injustice for that individual and also um, happens to be at the heart of who that individual is. Now, the problem with her definition and her uh, and her methodology 
is that she's classifying people according to these different victim categories rather than by who God actually made those individuals to be. And so then she's also classifying them into particular categories like uh, as a victim, such as being a lesbian or being a woman who's black and that, you know, you're oppressed because of the fact that you're black. And so she's she's insinuating just by that definition alone that if someone happens to be black, that they have to be oppressed or if someone's white, then they must be privileged when that's not actually the way that things work. That's what we're uh, that's what we're told. That's what people try to convince us to believe. But that's not actually the way it works. And so that's intersectionality by just the definition and the way that uh, it's being used and employed today is not only within the political structure, but it's also being used within evangelical circles. And so the idea is that we need to figure out ways to come to the aid and rescue those who are being oppressed. I, as a Christian and as a pastor, believe that the greatest way that we can aid people and to love our neighbor is through the the very way that God has instructed us in the Bible. And I believe that God has also orchestrated hierarchy. He, He controls the borders and boundaries of nations. He creates us as as black or white or as Asian or Hispanic. That's God's sovereign choice. And I think that we should figure out ways to love people and to aid people and to help people through the the very ways that God instructs us in his word. So I believe in in what's known as the sufficiency of Scripture. I believe that God's word is authoritative. I believe that God's word is sufficient. I don't believe that we need ethnic pragmatism or intersectionality. I don't think that we need social justice to solve the problems. I believe that God has given us everything that we need in his word, and his word is enough. And, you know, one thing that you mentioned right at the end is uh, social justice. And uh, there was a, uh, a statement of the statement of the of social justice and the gospel was, I don't know with that or a verse. Either way, I was one, I was one of the signers of that statement because I, I definitely have seen what has been going on, especially within the church. Um, as far as it seems like you having more and more people, even people that I respect to have, um, have kind of bought in into, uh, intersectionality and into this whole concept of social justice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, last year there was a, there was a, uh, a conference called the MLK 50 Conference, and it was to commemorate and celebrate the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's assassination. The problem with that conference is that uh, it had a lot of uh, celebration of a man, and in many ways uh, he did a lot of great things and put a spotlight on many really good things that we needed to see as far as the rights of individuals and, uh, and, and different racism issues that were taking place in our nation. The problem with that conference, though, is that instead of uh, dealing with the main issues related to how we can approach this from a gospel perspective, uh, there was an awful lot of celebration of that particular individual. But beyond that, there were statements that were being made that really concerned me greatly. So what happened was... I started calling around to friends and saying, we need to actually get in a room and talk about this. So that led to uh, a meeting that we had in Dallas, Texas, last uh, June, and we called it the Summit on Social Justice. 
and we got together in the room with John MacArthur and James White and and myself and Phil Johnson and Tom Askell and uh, just a, a number of people like Bodie Bauckham and others. And we talked about these very issues. And I told the men at the very beginning, I said, what we need to do is we need to complain about the problems, talk about these issues uh, for the first half of the day. But the second half of the day after lunch, we need to come back with some solutions. And one of the things that we put on the table as far as a solution was that we need to frame a statement on social justice and put it out to the world and say, this is where we stand and plant a stake in the ground and ask people to stand with us. And so coming out of that meeting was what you now know as the statement on social justice in the gospel. And so there have been thousands of people who have signed that statement. And I believe it's a very good statement because it addresses the issue. It doesn't state that we were or that we um, that we deny that there is oppression or that we deny that there is racism or that we deny that there is injustice in our culture today. We actually believe that that is true. The difference is from us and the social justice warriors is that we would say we believe that the Bible is sufficient and we don't need social justice and intersectionality to solve these problems. These fundamental sin problems within uh, humanity itself is emerging from the depravity of the human heart. And the solution is the gospel. The solution is found in God's word. So we don't need these other techniques and ideas and methods we need god's word alone i mean i guess i don't want to um well i know i mentioned about the mlk 50 uh conference a couple of months ago when it happened and i guess i don't want to sound too uh simplistic about it but i know to, to me like the answer to sin is the gospel i mean i just that's i don't know that's too simple to put it but whether, whether we're talking about social justice or whatever um it, you know racial injustice or whatever, whether it's uh, what you call homosexuality or any other sin that we want to talk about. I don't care if it's, uh, alco- you know, if you're alcoholic or, or something. All sin, the answer to all of that is the gospel. And so I, I don't know, maybe it should probably be explained a little bit more, but to me, just that's how simply I look at it at least. So. Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly with that. So we don't need another book. We don't need another idea or methodology. If we're going to solve the differences between humanity and between individuals, it's going to be through the gospel and the gospel alone. So uh, the G3 conference, um, unfortunately, I have not attended either one. Either, I don't know how long it's been going on, but I, I heard about it through Rich Radio. So and. I kept saying I was going to be able to go, and I've, I've missed out. I was just glad I was able to see the, the sessions on YouTube through Sovereign Nations. Mm-hmm. And so uh, how, how long has it been, been going, and how did it come about? Yeah, 2013, we started a conference called the G3 Conference. Uh, the, the idea is that we do a, a weekend conference under a particular theme, and we develop the the theme throughout the conference. So we'll have sermons based on that theme. So back in 2013 was the first conference. It was on the gospel. And then from there, we went to the word of God. We went to the Trinity, to the church, to, uh, to, uh, discipleship, to missions. And now this next year, we're going to do a conference on worship. And so it's every January, you can find all of the archives of the conference on g3conference.com and also our YouTube channel. And we also have an app that's free. You can download it. And all of the archives of the history of the conference are found there for free, so you can enjoy those. 
All right, and one thing I've asked everyone here at CPAC is the theme of CPAC is what makes America great. And I've just I've asked everyone, in your opinion, what makes America great? I think from the very beginning when the settlers came here in 1620 on the Mayflower, when they landed and they came, they came with their families. They came as farmers, as merchants. They came uh, with their children and just a few belongings. But when they stepped off of that boat, they stepped off with a Bible in their hand. They stepped off with the Geneva Bible, which is the world's first study Bible with the, the, the study notes in the margin. And they learned how to live life and to worship God and to order the church and to order their families and to order their, their civil uh, relationships and their communities through the word of God. They had great churches that believed the Bible, stood upon the Bible, preached the gospel, and understood that the Bible was completely sufficient. What made America great in the beginning was the fact that we had great churches who actually stood firm on the on the word of God. Take Yale and Harvard, for instance. They were originally founded for the training of ministers of the gospel. Uh, and so as the church goes, so goes America. So America will only be great as the churches in America are great and as they stand firm on the word of God and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right. Amen. And if people want to know, uh, want to know more about uh, the statement for social justice, social justice and the gospel or about the G3 conference or about, even, I guess, even sovereign nations. <laughs> what would they go for? Yes, you can find out all of that information on various different websites. <laughs> so you can find out the statement on social justice and the gospel is statement on social justice uh, dot com. And then you can find also information about the G3 conference at g3conference.com. You can find out more about Sovereign Nations at sovereignnations.com. And your social media as well? Yeah, so you can find me online. I'm active on Twitter. That's at Josh Bice, J-O-S-H-B-U-I-C-E. You can also find me. Uh, I blog frequently at deliveredbygrace.com. All right. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, man. Nice to be with you. Hello, this is Trent Chat at CPAC, and we are very pleased to have a returning guest, Anna Paulina, with us. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing today? Yep. So I just wanted to bring you on because, one, thank you for coming on earlier, a couple of months ago. And also, I definitely want to talk about a new venture that you got going on. Tell us about that. So I am actually working with the RNHA to launch a movement called Bienvenidos. And what it is, is it's going to be a, an outreach for the conservative Hispanic demographic. It hasn't been done before, but as you saw with the Turning Point USA Young Latino Leadership Summit, there was a great um, showing of people that were really expressing their frustrations currently with politics and right now, especially within the Hispanic demographic. And so what we're aiming to do is really shake it up across the board, across the United States, and really reinvigorate that base. Um, as we know, and as you saw in Texas, that... The conservative Hispanic demographic is there. Um, we just need to reach out to them more and essentially do, I, I hate to say it, but with what Beto-Org did was, you know, basically pay attention to this demographic because he wasn't even Hispanic. He pretended to be, right? <laughs> yeah, he was able to convince them to vote for him. And what ended up happening is, you know, it essentially turned Texas purple, which we never thought would happen. I heard that you had a couple of events coming up. Uh, have one coming up in uh, Houston, correct? Yeah, we have an event on March 23rd. We haven't an announced our special guest speaker yet, but the speaker that we are going to have is going to be incredible. He's obviously a huge supporter 
um, of this cause has great ties to the Texas area. It's pretty popular. And then also be doing events in Nevada, California, and Florida to be announced. Okay. And so well, one thing I've been asking everyone is that the theme of CPAC is what makes America great. So in your opinion, what makes America great? Freedom of speech and the Second Amendment. <laughs> well, well, I guess that's pretty much all that really needs to be said because the past couple of days we've had um, Vice President speak. Did you get a chance to hear hear any of the speech? I actually covered or got to see it um, on my social media. Actually, I wasn't able to actually stop in there because I had some interviews. But I'm so glad that Pence came, and I'm looking forward to President speaking tomorrow. All right, and also with your work with Turner Point, anything coming up in need of- that needs to talk about? Yeah, um, we have our events always listed at www.tpusa.com slash events. But our next big event is going to be in Dallas, Texas, and that's going to be the Young Women's Leadership Summit. So make sure you guys pop over for that. Hello, Trend Chat listeners. If you like the Founding Project's Civics Education video series, Civics for All Ages, and our Educational Meme series, we think you will love our new website. Join us at thefoundingproject.com and be a part of the civics movement. The Founding Project is a 501c3 education nonprofit. Please join us today. got a little time to play a little music i guess so um thanks to Danine and tom barelli josh boys and anna paulina for joining us and so the the last three you're gonna hear from cpac will be j michael jaffe john williams from cool conservatives and brandon tatum so i definitely wanted to make sure i got j michael jaffe um, on here because I actually didn't, didn't even introduce him in the interview so that's going to be the first one you hear and so without further ado here's J. Michael Jeff of two Israels and we want to bring him on just to I guess to give an idea of what it's all about how you doing I'm doing great thank you Brian so like I just mentioned, so what, what is Two Israels? Two Israels is the idea that the United States, from its founding, and the state of Israel are two historical legacies. That, uh, that is, they are nations inspired by the, the, the Hebrew Republic, the concept of what was called the Hebrew Republic during the Enlightenment period. That's when all the philosophers like Edmund Burke, John Stuart Mill, when they were talking about what limited government means, what it means for human beings and, and humanity to self-govern. And they took a lot of their inspiration from the Bible, from the concept from the, from the first five books of Moses and from the prophets, which talked about what it meant for, for, in the case of Moses, who was the lawgiver, as well as someone who delegated uh, to the judges a certain authority, as well as the, the, what, what became the kings of Israel, who dealt with, uh, who had to deal with issues. And sometimes they dealt with power the wrong way. And sometimes it took the prophets to remind them 
that they weren't all-powerful, that they were there, that, that, their, that their monarchies did have purpose and did have limitations. And that was, and that was the idea of limited, and that's where the idea of limited government came from. So, uh, I would say how, how is the reaction or how the reception you've had as far as, um, with two years A lot of people are very, very interested in it because they're looking at the, the meteoric success of Israel, especially in the high tech world. And when you think about it, Israel is basically 71 years old. In that time, they have rescued whole communities and, in, and integrated whole communities from as far away as Tibet and China, uh, they, uh, from Ethiopia and uh, Northern Africa and from all over the world. And they've done it in the space of 50 years. And think about that. They've integrated into, in a, into a true multicultural society and at the same time kept their, their national mission. Uh, they are a free republic as well, where free speech is, is cherished and exercised. And they've taken people, and these people they've taken from these areas that didn't have traditions of free speech, within a single generation, these people become legislators, these people become uh, broadcasters, these people uh, go through a university experience. So that, you have that on the one hand, that's a legacy of the Hebrew Republic, and then you have the United States, another legacy. The United States, many of the leaders talk about a Judeo-Christian uh, tradition. That is the tradition of the Hebrew Republic. And so you have the United States, which is also trying to enact these values in living, in life, in application, and, and make a good life make a, for, for its country, and also to serve a national mission. We have in, on the, in the Israel, you have the concept of the light of all na a light unto the nations. In the United States, you have the idea of the shining city on the hill. Okay, these are the same concepts. Now, and like I said, there you have this very close kinship between the United States and Israel. Israel has no ally like I'm sorry. Israel has no ally like the United States, and the United States has no ally like Israel. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no. Go ahead. go ahead. And I'm just saying that that's natural because the countries share the same mission, but they go about it in very different ways. And I think it's it's worth a conversation about learning how what they what they can learn from one another, and and how the, their national missions are being forwarded in the ways they the ways they pursue them. Now, one thing that tends to, at least for me, just take it off the top of my head, is, um, I guess, the whole BDS movement that's going on against against Israel. Right. So, I mean, I guess, what, I guess what are your opinions on that as far as, I mean, I kind of have an idea, but I just want to... <laughs> sure, no, that's okay. Now, the BDS movement is part of a larger, very... Mostly on the left, it's it's kind of like the combination of the left and 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 many of the fanatical uh, anti. Before, but, uh, well, I didn't want to get too far in, but I guess for people that don't know, what does BDS mean? BDS means uh, boycott, divestiture, and sanctions. So boycotting, don't buy Jewish products. Uh, divestment, don't invest in any Israeli uh, enterprises. Sanctions, try to do everything. And you know that in the United Nations, about 90% of the anti of the uh, of the sanctions against countries are all against Israel. Now these are these include if you you take in, into account that many of these committees that that are originating these sanctions are people like North Korea, China, Russia, which don't have. Good human rights records. Israel has much. Of, I mean, Israel has a great human rights record if you look at it. Uh, if you look at the history of the country and look at what they're doing, so that's what BDS means. And if you think about it, also, 
boycotting. If you boycotted Israeli products, firstly, we wouldn't be able to have this conversation right now because your cell phone has at least three different technologies which are which originated in Israel and which are manufactured in Israel. Uh, and I know one thing was, I know another thing, a lot of people probably couldn't even work in it. Most of their websites, because I know Wix.com right. is, is, is one of the, um, is in Israel somewhere, I know. Exactly. <laughs> And so, and so a lot, well, ICQ, I don't know if you remember ICQ from a few years ago, the very first chat, chat, chat software for, uh, on the internet that in cell phones, that was an Israeli company. Um, so SMS also, uh, basically an Israeli, an Israeli development. So that's one thing. The other thing is that it's, um, it's meant to focus a scapegoat anger and a scapegoat, uh, libel against Israel. And that's one of the ways that the left maintains power and accumulates power. They find a scapegoat. That's one of the things about the, the intersectionality in politics. You're taking, you're creating grievance communities. You're saying, oh, say, on the uh, women, you're still, you're still being discriminated against. Or, or people of color, you're still being discriminated against. All this, and they're, what they're trying to do really, they're not trying to help those groups. They're trying to build a coalition, a coalition of resentment and outrage. They're trying to manufacture outrage in order to take power. Well, one thing I've, I've asked everyone is that the theme of CPAC is what makes America great. So I just want to ask you, in okay. your opinion, what makes America great? Oh, that's a, that's a deep question. I'd say that America was born with great principles, with amazing principles. It took, I think, the best of the, the good parts of the Enlightenment, because the Enlightenment also had some not-so-good parts. But it took the best of the Enlightenment when it comes to true human agency, true human rights, the idea that an individual has worth. It took the concept of government power, that government power really does originate from the people and should be, should be very cautiously watched and carefully watched against abuse. I think it was George Washington who said something along the lines of, government is like a fire. If you build it too big, you lose control of it and it will consume you. Uh, it, it's true, the, the whole, the, if you look at the, at the biblical history of the kingdoms of Israel, there, there were some very bad times because kings abused their power. And even the very notion of king, of, of a king in Jewish history and biblical history, that the prophet Samuel said, you don't want a king. You shouldn't have a king. It's not going to end well. And so that's also part of the Judeo-Christian tradition. Uh, so what makes America great? America has is great because its ideas, its founding ideas, are truth, beauty, and um, and goodness all combined. The idea that human beings have worth, that uh, that they that they are best empowered when they have responsibilities, that uh, and that and that government power is always to be in the service of the people and not the other way around. That's what makes America great. So if people want to know more about Two Israels, where do they go? Okay. Well, right now, I'm almost ashamed to say it, but we're still on a WordPress site. It's uh, Two Israels. The, in one, the word Two Israels without any anything in between, like a period or anything like that. Uh, TwoIsraels.wordpress.com. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Brian. Hello, this is Trent Chad at CPAC. And we are very pleased to have the president of Cool Conservatives with us, John Williams. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Brian? So, first off, or, well, my, not only myself, but anyone listening, what is Cool Conservatives? 
All right. Well, Cool Conservatives, we started, uh, my friend Will Estes and myself in Texas, right after the election where Beto O'Rourke almost beat Ted Cruz, uh, we realized, well, Texas is going to turn purple or blue very quickly if we don't do something. And that something that we need to do is reaching out to millennials, which overwhelmingly voted for Beto O'Rourke, and minorities who are natural fits to the Republican Party, even if not the Republican Party conservative principles, because 82% of Hispanics uh, claim to be pro-life. 88% of black Americans uh, support uh, traditional marriage. Uh, everybody likes the idea of paying less taxes if you're talking about them. Now, now a lot of them think, well, we'll let the other guy pay more taxes, but if you're talking about somebody's own finances, everybody's for lower taxes. Well, that's what conservative principles are all about. So I looked around and, and uh, with, with my buddy Will, and there are a lot of conservative activists out there. There are a lot of consultants. There are a lot of PACs. There are a lot of nonprofits out there. But the outreach that they're doing online, and I'm not saying anything other than online, but online, there's this conservative echo chamber where we like, share, and comment amongst ourselves and that the message does it never is effectively presented to those that most need to hear it. The, the 13 to 15% of African Americans who would vote Republican if we would just talk to them, or if somebody that looked like them would talk to them directly, not trying to talk to other conservatives, but talking to somebody with a shared experience, with, with um, a shared lifestyle, with shared visions for what they want America to be and, and what they want to see. So we started this, and my very first goal was me being a, a 38-year-old white guy. Obviously, I can't go out and reach 18-year-old black guys on a basketball court in, in downtown Dallas, right? So finding those those types of people who agree with conservative principles, and they don't have to agree with me 100% on anything, but the goal is to go out there and plant the seed that socialism is not the way to go, and oh, by the way, the people that have been called racist, misogynist, uh, homophobic, uh, all these other names that you call them, that's not who they are at all. That's just a caricature that the Democratic Party has been pushing because they don't want you to see that the prosperity that America has, it actually comes from conservatism. Uh, they want to keep you dependent on them so that they maintain their power, and and the ability to plant the seeds and talk to people through that that wall that they've put up uh, is just imperative. And so, uh, <clears throat> walking into many communities, even even white liberals, you start saying, "Well, I don't believe in paying more taxes." What do they immediately do? They say, "Well, you're a racist." Well, no, I'm not. I just don't want to pay more taxes. I, I, that means I don't want white people to pay more taxes. I don't want black people to pay more taxes. I don't want Hispanics. I don't want Asians. I want the government to be limited the way that the Constitution says it should be. And uh, also opportunity. Opportunity in the United States has, uh, we have created more opportunity, more jobs, more wealth than the next 20 nations combined. It wasn't socialism that did that. It was individualism. It was everyone looking out for their own best interests. They find their niche. The invisible hand of the economy guides them, and they are able to, to make their way. Where issues come up is when government takes from the labors, the product of the labors of the people producing it, and gives it to those not producing or the underprivileged. Well, no, what we should be doing is lifting up the underprivileged by giving them a hand up, helping them with education, helping them find gainful employment, not giving them a small little check and keeping them in government housing. That 
just does not work. That That is not the America, that is not individualism, that is called collectivism, and that always leads, socialism and collectivism always leads to a societal collapse, like we're seeing in Venezuela. Uh, Sweden is close on their, on their heels, and uh, so we are planting seeds out there through social media, with video, with podcasts, with uh, YouTube videos, uh, and even events with Cool Conservatives. The website is coolconservatives.org. We've got a video up there on the front page. You can look at it. It takes about three minutes. It's well worth every second you've got. We're out here to reach millennials, minorities, and anybody else who has not been reached with the conservative message, which is America first. It's, President Trump always says America first. Well, now conservatism is America, Americanism because... The Democrats, the liberals, the socialists, they are more and more and more on the side of anti-Americans. You know, we can't take a flaw. Uh, we, can't, we can't translate a flaw that America has, which slavery was horrible. There's no reason why we ever should have had slavery. But we can't hate America today because we once had slaves. You see, we got rid of the slaves. We didn't get rid of the slaves. We got rid of slavery we made them free, and now we should move on. We should not continue to beat up our beat ourselves up over something that happened 100 years ago, just like you shouldn't beat yourself up over a mistake you made two weeks ago at work. That is not something you do. You continue to improve. You continue to get better, and you gain pride and strength in your country, just like you gain pride and strength in yourself as, as you grow and you live and you mature. Well, our country has matured. We were very immature at one point in time, and now we are maturing. We are always a work in progress. But to hate white Americans or conservative Americans or Christian Americans because of mistakes that have been made in the past is the wrong answer. Conservatism is the way to go, and we're out to prove it to minorities and millennials and anyone anyone else who will listen. So, uh, now, basically, all the questions I was going to ask, whoopie well, whoopie answer, which is great. So, one thing I wanted to ask is, so, um, you have any um, events or anything coming up with Cool Conservatives as far as um, whether, and also, if people want to reach on social media and all that as well. Uh, okay, well, let me start with social media. Uh, we're at fa- Facebook.com slash Cool Conservatives, Twitter at Cool Conserve Pack, and on Instagram at Cool Conservatives. Uh, oh, and Snapchat at Cool Conservatives. Uh, as far as events coming up, we are working on uh, a couple of events, uh, well, actually four events, one in Dallas, one in Fort Worth, one in Austin, and one in Houston. Uh, we have not released the dates because we are still trying to get the speakers in. Uh, but trust me, when the speakers are announced, and they're going to be just huge, huge events. And they're not going to be the traditional Republican, old white guy type events. These are going to be uh, very hip, very amazing events that uh, everyone's going to want to go to and be a part of. Okay, well, I guess one question I've asked everybody is, um, so the theme of CPAC is what makes, uh, what makes America great? So, in your opinion, what makes America great? What makes America great is individualism. Like, like I was just talking about earlier, we, we have built this country on not, the needs of the government have always been the top priorities for monarchs, dictators, and other governments throughout history. But when we started the United States, the needs of the individual, the needs of the individual family rose to the top. And, and it was basically self-determination. You can make of yourself what you want to make of yourself. If you want to sit at home and not grow a crop, then that is fine. You can do that. If you want to go out and grow a crop and then 
preserve some of that money that you made off of selling your crop and buy more land and have more crop next year, then you are free to do that as well. If you want to go open a print shop, you can do that. If you, if you want to go build roads, you can go do that. Opportunities are limitless because this is a new country, a new way of life. The individual is at the top, not the government. The government was meant to be at the bottom in the Constitution. It was meant to be a safety net for military security, uh, infrastructure, and post offices. That is all the federal government was ever meant to be. Individuals, we should, we should, historically have been and should be the beacon of, of America. That is what makes America great is the collected work of all the individuals in America working together for their own interests, which in turn builds everyone's interests. It's in America... If you look at the, the amount of wealth that America has currently possesses, it's about $95 trillion worth of wealth. The next country closest to us is China with about $22 trillion worth of wealth. We have almost five times the amount of wealth in America that the next closest country. And oh, by the way, they have five times as many people as we do. Why? Because the power of the individual, the power of innovation. We have brought the world vaccines. We have cured most of the diseases known to man. Now there's new diseases out there we didn't know about before, but we're working on curing those too. We brought flight to the world. We brought the automobile, automobile to the world. We bought, brought steam engines, which brought uh, international trade across the oceans. Individualism is what makes America great. And oh, by the way, individual, individualism is, um, it does not work unless there is morality. And so morality comes from God. And that is what makes America great. The Christian principles built on individualism pursue life as you see fit, as you believe God God wants you to see to pursue life. That is what makes America great. All right, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Brian. This is Trend Chat with your host, Brian Bledsoe. This is Trend Chat at CPAC, and we are very pleased to have Brandon Tater with us. He is a returning guest. First off, glad to meet you in person finally. Awesome, man. Nice to meet you as well. Well, here at CPAC, I guess the first thing I want to ask is, um, how you like to, well, let me ask, is this your first CPAC or, or not? Yeah, this is my first time coming to CPAC. Um, I never even considered it in the past, but it seems like a really good event. Everybody was like, I have to be here. You have to mingle and meet people. It'd be a great event for you. So that's why I'm here and, and I'm enjoying it so far. Well, I guess I'm going to ask normally my last question. I'm going to ask it now. The theme of it is uh, what makes America great? I'm just asking everyone that. So for you, what makes America great? I think what makes America great is when we, we all come together. We focus on the, the sentiments and the principles in which establish our country, like having family involved, God involved, understanding our constitutional rights, being informed, being passionate, and putting America first. All those things in conjunction will make this country better. We had you on before to talk about what was going on with Turning Point as far as the Young Black Leadership Summit. And, and so what's going on now with the Turning Point? Well, same thing. You know, my, my, my position at Turning Point is that I'm the director for urban engagement. We're continuing to engage in urban areas, recruit. Um, also, we're trying to start chapters at historical black colleges. We, For the first time, obviously, since the establishment of Turning Point, we've had a lot more leads. And uh, we're going to have some, some chapters in HBCUs this year. Okay, and you have um a, actually a number of I guess speaking engagements um here at CPAC. So what you got planned? So I have two speaking slots here at CPAC, which I'm blessed to do. I really wanted a main stage because I feel like that it I could really deliver a great speech for the people here at CPAC. But 
I'm still also thankful and blessed that I have two speaking slots on panels. On Friday at 3 p.m., I'll be speaking about the unco- being an unconventional conservative, being black and conservative and, and, and what goes along with that, how I got to that point. And then I believe on Saturday morning at 7.50 a.m., I'll be speaking on a police panel related to police issues in America. So I'm excited. I'm blessed to be here, and, I, and, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, really giving a great speech. Well, well, given that when this will be out, this will be um, after CPAC. So I guess what does it? What does being a unique conservative is about? Well, it's it's about being a an American. It's about being free to deliver and to believe in the things that you have 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 in your mind as, that are true. And when I say your mind that are true, based on research, based on a clear understanding, and the fact that. I could be a black man, which is, which is unconventional in nowadays time. I could be black and still believe in conservative values and express the things that I feel are uh, what's going to make this country great. Those things right there are, are, are what I I feel is an example of having the freedoms and what it means to be a unconventional conservative. And so you say you're also going to be part of a police panel. So I'm guessing pretty sure they're going to talk about like uh, how. I guess the the view of the police and police brutality and all that, and guess going to get into all that again as well, right? Yeah, I'm thinking that that's going to that's going to be a topic of discussion. I'm pretty sure when we have question and answer, people are going to ask questions about that. But I'm really looking forward to to delivering answers. I feel like that we need to have good, conscious, reasonable conversations around police in America, and you know, give the alternative view. You know. When you look at people hating on police, we need to tell the truth about police, which will give a balance in this country. All right. Brandon, thanks for coming on before, and thanks for coming on again now. Hey, anytime, man. Just give me a call. Yep, and as as um, Brandon mentioned about being on the main stage, uh, little did he know he actually got on the main stage. So, And he was right. He had a great message, so I'm glad he was able to to be able to to set it on the main stage so this is this is it for part two we'll have the final part tomorrow and we'll have um not as many but but they'll be just as good so we'll be back tomorrow with part three and till then we'll chat with you later And we're back with breaking news. The new Coke Zero Sugar might be the best Coke ever. That's right, Jim. With an improved taste and zero calories, make sure... Jim. Ooh, yes. This tastes like the best Coke ever to me. We're on the air. I need to try it first. Con cero azúcar y ahora mucho más rica. ¿Será que la nueva Coca-Cola Zero Sugar es la mejor de todas? Descúbrela. Switching to GEICO is a good idea, especially when you consider everything. First off, GEICO makes it easy to switch. They have licensed agents available 24-7 online or over the phone. But if it's so easy, you might start thinking everything is easy, even big wave surfing. And it's not. It's actually quite difficult. 
Well, if you switch to GEICO, you could save hundreds on car insurance. And you could keep saving by bundling your motorcycle, boat, and RV, plus your home or renter's insurance. But saving money might lead you to make some questionable purchases, like a 20-foot feather boa. And do you know how hard it is to clean a 20-foot feather boa? Well, they do have an industry-leading mobile app you can use to pay your bill, file and manage a claim, or add a new driver. But when life gets a little easier, it makes you too confident. And you start calling everyone ace. And you're better than that. Well, GEICO has a 97% customer satisfaction rating and has been saving people money for 85 years. It's hard to beat that. But you're right. Switch to GEICO. It's obviously a good idea.